Good morning. Great to have you with us today in this Easter season. There's a scene in the movie Apocalypse Now, Francis Ford Coppola's intense thriller about the Vietnam War, where Captain Benjamin Willard, who has been sent to deal with the murderously insane Colonel Kurtz, Willard has a tender moment with his love interest, Roxanne, in the middle of the jungle. Do you know why we can never step in the same river twice? Roxanne quizzes the exhausted Willard. The captain replies, yeah, because it's always damn moving. Quoting the ancient Greek philosopher Heraclitus, a man can never step in the same river twice. Life is not going back to the way that it was. Whenever this pandemic is over, I mostly hate that fact. I listen to the same playlist on Spotify a hundred times. I always buy the same kind of ice cream, dolce de leche. I know there is a new normal coming. No idea when, and I certainly would not risk publicly claiming what I think it's going to look like. Life is not going back to the way that it was. We've just begun a new sermon series. Now what? No, seriously, what now? Looking at how we can rebuild our lives as we slowly emerge uh, from COVID-19 and how we can rebuild our lives with God at the center and how rebuilding that way, not rebuilding with nostalgia or even with bitterness, but rebuilding with God at the center can equip us with hope and strength for the future. Tuning in, uh, you may be uh, cynical or spiritually searching, or you've been learning how to follow Jesus for years. Let's look together at this man, Nehemiah, who lived some 2,500 years ago, because I think that he can teach us to rebuild in a specific way. First, with risky honesty. Second, with prayerful action. And third, resisting the resistance. Risk, action, resistance. And if you have a Bible there or you want to call it up on your phone, you might want to keep Nehemiah chapter 2 open. Now last week, Tyler put the book of Nehemiah into its uh, context. Quick recap. In the year 586 BC, Israel's been conquered by the mighty Babylonian Empire, at roughly modern-day Iraq, and the Jewish people have been led off into exile into Babylon. This was a cataclysmic event for them. Uh, Jerusalem, including the temple, which was the absolute center of their faith, uh, it lies in ruins. Fifty years later, Babylon falls to the Persian Empire, which is roughly modern-day Iran. Iraq and Iran have been frenemies for a very long time. And Persian King Cyrus lets the Jewish people begin to return to their homeland to rebuild. So they start to go. But only the elders remember what Jerusalem was like before the exile. 
It's a little bit like when my parents uh, try to describe a post-war rationing in Britain uh, to our teenage daughters as they uh, head off to Whole Foods. This new generation was born in Babylon. They start rebuilding their lives in Jerusalem, but it's not back to normal. It's a new normal. The rebuilding, however, takes an extremely long time. Fast forward a hundred years, and you come to Nehemiah, an Israelite born into exile, who's risen to the lofty position of cupbearer uh, to the reigning Persian king, Artaxerxes. And don't be fooled by his title. Uh, not only was he the royal uh, sommelier, but because of the daily uh, close and physical access that his position gave to the king, it was a position of significant political influence. The news that his homeland is still in ruins, even after a hundred years of attempting to rebuild, has just reached Nehemiah's ears. And we land in our reading today, chapter 2. And here we come to risky honesty. What risk did Nehemiah take so that he could rebuild Jerusalem? And what does it have to do with us? Verses 1 and 2, Nehemiah speaking. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was served to him, I carried the wine and I gave it to the king. Now, I had never been sad in his presence before, so the king said to me, Why is your face sad since you're not sick? This can only be sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. Here's the risk that Nehemiah took. As cupbearer to the king, he not only chose the wine, he also checked for poison and was there for one of the most trusted members of the king's inner circle. Think a Jared Kushner to Donald Trump. But he was also meant to be a convivial, always ready with a, a quick smile, able to cheer the king up. Don't bring rain to the party, Nehemiah. It's a risk to be showing grief over his devastated homeland in public in front of the king uh, for lots of reasons. You know, not only it might uh, spoil the mood at the king's banquet, but it was also actually a critique of the king's judgment because the same King Artaxerxes had, for some political reasons, a few years previously, halted the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And while Nehemiah was super savvy and tactful in uh, how he communicated his grief, may the king live forever. My people's graves are in ruin. My city needs rebuilding. Publicly showing his grief was still a significant political risk, and yet Nehemiah took it. Nehemiah would have been under enormous pressure to keep up appearances, to go with the flow, maintain the status quo. The king defined the status quo when the king had not rebuilt Jerusalem. And here we come to us. Grief of any kind. Grief over the death of a career dream. Uh, the loss of a relationship, a, a miscarriage, a 23,000 dead from COVID in Canada. Grief always calls the present circumstances into question. It's, a, it's always a critique of, of the way things are turning out, don't you think? It's why we so often bury our grief and don't want to name it. 
we don't want to take the risk of admitting to other people how deep the loss is uh, for us. Because once we name it, once we say we're not happy with the way things are turning out, well, that's hard. It's why we're experiencing grief in the first place. But Nehemiah takes the risk of being honest, not only with himself, but honest in public. And while it's interesting to note that initially, Nehemiah doesn't ask the king for anything, the king's smart. And he knows that if you are grieving, then you actually want something. You want something to be different. Verse 4. Then the king said to me, what is it that you request, Nehemiah? Now, on one level, it's blindingly obvious what we as a society, especially here in Toronto, what we're grieving right now. But what are you grieving? As one scholar noted about Nehemiah's honesty before the king, there's always a wish buried inside all grief. Nehemiah's wish was to rebuild his home. What is your wish buried inside the grief? The first step for us as we seek to rebuild our lives as we move forward is going to have to be taking that risk of going public uh, with what our grief is, honest about what's been lost, what we will deeply miss. There's no need to feel like you have to brush it under the rug. You can be a whistleblower on your own grief. And in fact, followers of Jesus, we need to lead the public lament at death, injustice, greed, incompetence, waste, evil. This is not how the world is meant to be. And there is a future that we can point to as Easter people when a new world is coming. Only when we grieve publicly are we naming the wish buried inside of it, naming the hope for a better world, naming our willingness to roll up our sleeves and work towards it. So first, to rebuild, Nehemiah took risky honesty. And then second, he took steps towards prayerful action. Now, as Tyler mentioned last week, the, when Nehemiah first heard the news about his hometown, he spent months in prayer and fasting and planning. Uh, he wasn't uh, being impulsive that day at the king's banquet. He hadn't just kicked back and thought to himself, well, you know, I prayed about it. Let's see if God steps up to the plate. No. As Augustine of Hippo famously said, pray as though everything depended on God, work as though everything depended on you. Nehemiah takes the risk of being honest uh, with his grief. The king asks, what's up? And then verse 4. So I prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said to the king, notice he prays first. In fact, almost all of chapter 1, which we looked at last week, is about how Nehemiah prayed once he heard about the need to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He prays, but then he acts. Pray as though everything depended on God. Work as though everything depended on you. Nehemiah knows that God is 
intimately involved in the inner workings of the world. Nehemiah knows that God is a God of history, not an absentee landlord. And if Good Friday and Easter Day showed us anything, it's that God is a God of action, willing to put skin into the game. And what's the action that Nehemiah takes? Well, he reaches out for collaboration with the king of Persia. He realizes he can't go and rebuild Jerusalem on a cupbearer's salary. He needs the king. And he swiftly brings out his wish list. In a go big or go home moment, uh, he asks the king for letters of safe passage through his territories, introductions to business tycoons for finances, the keeper of the king's forests, and he even receives a military escort. To rebuild, Nehemiah takes prayerful action, and that action means collaboration. To rebuild our lives going forward, we need to do the same thing. We need to take prayerful action with our friends and our neighbors, uh, with our Christian community of St. Paul's to rebuild uh, social connections, to help local businesses flourish again, to give our children freedom back. It's actually quite amazing if you think about it, that this Persian king would personally bankroll the rebuilding of this far-flung city, a religious center for a faith that he did not share. A reminder that God wishes to involve everyone in God's work of renewing this world. Who do you need to prayerfully cooperate with in your family and circle of friends as we slowly rebuild social connections? Who do you need to prayerfully cooperate with in your neighborhood or in this city? Uh, what about your work colleagues or uh, economic or political leaders as we uh, help rebuild the fabric of Toronto? or just your neighborhood hockey team. Here at St. Paul's, in the heart of this global city, we need to continue to build strategic partnerships downtown uh, so we can be a beacon of hope in this uh, emerging uh, post-COVID uh, world. Nehemiah risked honesty, then he took prayerful action, and thirdly, he resisted resistance. Resistance. Verse 9, Nehemiah speaking. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard it, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. When Nehemiah then issued his rallying call to rebuild the walls and everyone was excited and behind him, uh, we're told that Sanballat, Tobiah, and a third, uh, Geshem the Arab, openly mocked Nehemiah. Winston Churchill, you've got enemies? Good. That means you've stood up for something sometime in your life. If you're afraid of things changing, if you're nervous about uh, feathers being ruffled or challenging the status quo, if you're spiritually searching this morning, I have to warn you about Christianity. The resistance to Nehemiah's prayerful action was almost instantaneous. 
And as we go through this book over the coming weeks, you'll see that the naysayers and the critics, they, they don't disappear. And if we're going to be a community of people uh, learning how to follow Jesus in this city, uh, while we raise our kids, uh, look for jobs, try to date, try to, try to pay the mortgage, then we will face resistance. And if you try to rebuild your life, uh, rebuild your habits and rhythms with more time for God and, and more time to serve other people, uh, there will be resistance. It, it may come uh, within your family, with your kids, or a spouse, or friends, work colleagues may not like it. Heads up. Which is why it's so important to remember that Christianity is a team sport. We simply can't follow Jesus as individuals. It can only be done as a community. It's a team sport with Jesus as the captain. American writer Barbara Brown Taylor uh, notes that Nehemiah actually points us to Jesus. Jesus was in a royal palace, just like Nehemiah the heavenly throne room of God. Jesus left the safety and pleasure of being worshipped by throngs of angels. And Jesus left that all behind to come uh, and take a risk, come into danger as a human being in our world to identify with us. And that great risk that he took, well, it came at a great cost, his life on a wooden cross. But he did all of that to make us citizens of the royal palace, to make us citizens of that heavenly throne room of God. Knowing what our ultimate destiny is, knowing that we are safe and secure in the heart of God, can give us hope and strength to navigate whatever this future is that we're emerging into. Nehemiah enlists the king of Persia for his uh, attempts at rebuilding. The king of the whole universe is enlisting you and me, a flawed and faltering though we certainly are. The king of the universe is enlisting us to rebuild our lives and the lives of our neighbors over the coming weeks and months. Last week, Tyler told us, and if you haven't had a chance to listen to the message yet, I'd encourage you to do so. But, but Tyler told us that there can be a new normal for us where our happiness is not ruled by our circumstances, be they broken down city walls or uh, the devastation of COVID. Because like Nehemiah, we are growing in our willingness to place our hope not in the king of Persia, but in the king of heaven, trusting in God's character. We can risk honesty about our grief. We can, we can take prayerful action, and we can resist the inevitable criticism that will come our way when we challenge the status quo in our neighborhoods or even in our families and uh, the world. This morning... In a moment, I would love to pray for you. Uh, whether you're curious or maybe you're critical or you're committed, I'm going to pray that we can name our grief right now, uh, be led into action, and stay strong. So just where you are, uh, on the sofa, 
Would you just close your eyes and let me pray for you. King of heaven, God of grace, I pray to you for your people gathered across this city and around the world. We ask for your comfort in this time of grief. Give us eyes to see where you're calling us and give us a willingness to act and strengthen our resolve by your Holy Spirit in the face of any setbacks or any fear. We pray these things in the name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks be to God. Amen.